We are in Genesis chapter 32, and last time we had finished up with verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 32, and what had happened is, is Jacob and his family went through a very trying time, really, really a lot of hardship, and a group of angels met him on the way and really ministered to him in verses 1 and 2, and you may think, oh, well, it's done, I've just been through a lot, God encouraged me, I'm good to go for a while. No. It was just like a one-two punch. He's just going to go through something all over again. So sometimes trials in life come in packets. I mean, they come. it's not just one thing. It's just one and then get hit again and get hit again. This is what happens in life sometimes. So let's pick it up at, at verse 3 of Genesis chapter 32, verse 3. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels, into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to one company and attacks attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and all of the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers and the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is, too gr- which is too great to number. So he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewe lambs and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on before me, and put a space between the droves. He commanded the one in front, saying, When my brother Esau meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong, and where, where are you going, and to whom do these animals in front of you belong, then you shall say, These things belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. Then he commanded also the second and the third, and all those who followed the drove, saying, After this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob is also behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward I will see his face, perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on before him, while he himself spent the night in the camp. Now he arose the same night, took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the Jabbok. And he took them and he sent them 
across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. Okay, so Jacob is here right at the Jabbok River. He is, there's a city here called Mahanaim. That's the one he just named in, in uh, verses 1 and 2 of, of that chapter. And he's just moving over here to a new place he's going to call uh, uh, Peniel. That's, that's just, just like a mile across. But he's on the northern side of the Jabbok River. He had fled from his father-in-law to, from way up over here near Damascus. He had fled all, fled all the way down. And he was in, the, in these hills of Gilead here. When his father-in-law met him, they had the feast together. They, his father-in-law parted. Very trying time. And he's here. And Esau lives down in Seir, which is right in this area. This was actually actually a, 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 uh, uh, an area down in here where he lived in, in, in this area of, of, uh, of Seir. And so that, that what we're going to find is, is, that, is that he is going to send down his people, and they're going to go down, they're going to meet Esau, who lived down here. So he knew where Esau had lived. And now Esau is coming up toward him. So that's kind of the geography here. This is the Jordan River. This is present-day Israel on this side. This is present-day Jordan. So he's on the present-day Jordan side. So in verse in verse 3, it says that um, uh, Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, in the hill country of Edom. And so remember, this Edom means red. This was actually named after after Esau, the brother Esau, and uh, that whole section of the land down there by the Dead Sea. And he commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau. So what you see him, this is really calculated. He says, Say to my lord Esau. So remember, there are two things that Jacob got. Jacob got the birthright, and Jacob got the blessing. He got the birthright by giving his brother a bowl of porridge, a bowl of lentils, red lentils, and he got the blessing by stealing it from his father by deceiving his father. And so what he's about to do, he's about to relinquish both the birthright and the blessing. He initiated this. Esau's not coming after him yet. He says, you go down to Esau, and he called him to my lord Esau. So if you look at at, at chapter 27, verse 29... Chapter 27, verse 29 of, of the book of Genesis, it says that, that uh, may peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. So when he got this, this uh, uh, blessing from the father, he was the one who his brothers were to bow down to him. But he addresses his brother, my Lord Esau. He says, your servant Jacob. So he is actually relinquishing this, the very thing that he had stolen. If you look again in, in chapter 20, in, in chapter 27, verse, verse, uh, um, chapter 27, verse 37, it says, but Isaac replied to Esau, behold, I have made him your master. So Jacob was Esau's master, but he relinquishes that. He is coming and the first thing he does to bring peace to his relationship. Remember, his brother wanted to kill him, it says, for stealing that, that uh, blessing. And he took off 20 years earlier. And he is the one who initiates the peace. He initiated the peace by not claiming the, the blessing that he was given. He called himself the servant. 
He is relinquishing that. As believers, we are obliged to be the initiators of peace. We are obliged to do this. Not the unbeliever, but the believer is obliged to do this. You may say, well, well, the other person's a believer. He can do it or she can do it. No. If you're the more, more mature one, you do it. You do it. You initiate this peace. So you see, he's initiating this peace. And, and so they go to Esau and they said, you know, they say that, that uh, well, Esau really wasn't, wasn't uh, uh, accepting this very well. And Esau, it says, we went to meet him. And it says in verse 6, he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. Whoa. This is not a retinue of 10 people coming to say, oh, so great to meet. He's coming with 400 men. With 400 men. Well, what kind of men were these? These were men's men. These were men's men. These were really tough guys because if you, if you look actually in, in uh, chapter 27, verse 40 of the prophecy over Esau, it says in verse 40 of chapter 27, by your sword you shall live and your, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. So he's, he's saying, because he got this blessing, you're going to serve him. You are going to live by the sword. Esau lived by the sword. Probably the men around him in his community. Then remember, he had multiple wives. So a lot of these are probably his sons because Jacob had been away 20 years. So a lot of these are his sons. And you take, you take a you know, son, and he was married for years before Jacob was ever married. For many years before Jacob was m- married. And these sons are in prime age to, to do nasty things. I mean, young people like your age are, are the ones who are terrorists, actually. Actually, and, 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 you know, you can be profiled that way because it's, it's young guys who do a lot of this stuff. And so these are tough guys who have lived by the sword. Now, I don't know how to use a sword. I mean, I could pick up a sword and I, I might be able to figure it out if you just stood really still. I might be able to... Fi- but I don't live by the sword. People who live by the sword, they really know how to use this sword. Jacob was a shepherd. Jacob, you, you know, could fend off some animals with his shepherd stick. But you got 400 men led by, by Esau who lived by the sword coming at him. And it's like, whoa. I just had to deal with my father-in-law thinking that he was going to kill me and God protected me. And Lord, isn't it enough? I mean, isn't one blow enough? No. Another one is going to come toward him. And so he's coming and it says, then Jacob was, in verse 7 of 32, chapter 32, verse 7, then Jacob was greatly afraid. Not just afraid, but greatly afraid. I mean, how much more explicit would we like God to be? It says Jacob was greatly afraid. So that greatly means that there's, you know, a lot of fear. He was greatly afraid and distressed. So everything that, that you, you know, you, you think of these things that he was going through. And he puts these adjectives in front of it. And, and it's, it's just really intense. He was, so he divided his group into two companies. He said, at least one of us will survive because if he sees one of our, even half of my company, it's going to look like a hole because he had been blessed so much. He had made so much money in the last six years, so much flocks and so much herds. And then what does he do? For he said, for he said in verse eight, for if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then that the other company, which is left will escape. So, so uh, uh, he figured that, that Esau would only think that there's that half 
of the, of the company because it's so big. And so then what did he do in verse 9? It says, then Jacob said to God, Jacob said to God in verse 9, So I want you to look at this prayer. We're going to look at the way this person cried out in his utter distress. Are you worried about things in life? Probably you don't have 400 men that are like sworn to kill you. Marching toward you right now. That are just like two days journey away from you. To kill you. Anybody here have 400 men coming at you to kill you right now? You do. do. (laughs) And and so, so... this is a frightening thing, and it's not just him, it's his whole family. You worry much more about these things when you have a family. When you don't have a family with you, you're like, no, I'm, I, I'm not afraid to die. Oh. And, but you, you, now, you, you, have, you have a wife and children and all of these things, you get really super concerned. He says in verse 9, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac. So what is he doing? He knows that there is a blessing that has come through Abraham. And he's holding on and claiming that blessing. You are the God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Isaac. We have Jesus. We are to remember Jesus in the midst of these things. We have something much better than Abraham, much better than Isaac. We have the very Son of God who calls us His friend. We are to remember that we have Jesus. Remember that. Call upon this, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's taking what, 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 what he has, and he is calling upon this. He says, the God of, my, God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Isaac. O Lord, when he says, O Lord, that Lord is in little caps, that means he's saying, O Jehovah, O Yahweh, the personal name of God. He's calling on, this isn't God afar off. He's using the very personal name of God. O Lord, O Jehovah, O Yahweh. The, the name that Jews today won't even say because they deem it so holy. That's his personal name. When God introduced himself, he introduced himself as Yahweh. That's his personal name. We have the personal name of the Son of God. His name is Jesus. You can call upon the very name of Jesus. If you look in, in, uh, in, in, uh, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. I taught this to my children over and over again. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The name of Jesus is a strong tower for the believer. The righteous can run into this and be safe. I remember one day I was driving down the road and it was in, in uh, I was, I was driving from Syracuse back, back down to, uh, uh, South Carolina, and it was just snowing, and it was ice on the roads, and I was going down 81 South, the highway there, and, and as I was going, the car must have hit a patch of ice, and it, it was just going straight down the road, and it turned sideways, and it's just going sideways down the road, and there's cars behind me, and I'm going sideways down the highway, and all I could say was, Jesus, help me! The car went, poof, and just started going straight again. I am just telling you, I saw this with my own eyes. I just said, Jesus, help me. And it went straight again. And I got off the next exit, and right there in the snow, I got down on my knees, and I thanked my Lord Jesus Christ. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. Why would you not take the name of the Lord then? Why would you not call upon Him then? The name of the Lord is our strong tower. The righteous can run into it and is safe. He says, He says, O Lord, 
who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. So he hearkens back to what the Lord said to him. The Lord said to him in chapter 31, verse 3, he says, it says, uh, uh, the Lord said to Jacob, return to your land and to of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. And then he said it to him again in verse 13 of chapter 31. Leave this land and return to the land of your birth. He's saying, I didn't set out on my own. I just did what you told me to do. And now I'm going to get killed. So he's calling upon the Lord. He's saying, I remember what you told me to do. I'm just doing what you told me to do. And he's presenting that before the Lord. We are to learn how to pray like this guy prayed. He calls upon the Lord. He uses his personal name. He remembers that this is from Abraham and Isaac. We're to remember Jesus, our Savior, our intercessor, the one who prays for us. Then he says, I'm just doing what you told me to do. You're the one who told me to return. And he says, and you said you would prosper me. Because it says in chapter 31, you go, I'll prosper you. When he was on the way, God told him he would prosper him. Then he says in, in verse 10 of chapter 32, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness. I am unworthy. I mean, we have to always remember that God owes us nothing. God owes us nothing. We are absolutely unworthy of this. There was a man in the New Testament. There was only one guy that Jesus praised in the New Testament. One guy that Jesus praised. And this was a Roman centurion. The Roman centurion said, would you come and heal my slave? And then Jesus says, okay, I'm on my way. So this is in Matthew chapter 8, verse 7. Matthew chapter 8, verse 7. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my slave, do this. And he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who were following him, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. He says, I've I've never seen it. Jesus is the one who said, I've never seen such great faith as I have in this man. What did this man say? He said, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word and you'll be healed. Here you see Jacob saying, I am not worthy. If you come before God and think that he owes you something... You're wrong, right? He owes you absolutely nothing. Yet he has given you all things in his son because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we have all things in Jesus. He owes us nothing. And to be able to come before the throne of grace, which means undeserved gifts, unmerited favor, and believe and know that he owes us nothing. That's what he's saying. I am unworthy of all the kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For, for with my staff only I cross, crossed this Jordan. And now I, I have become two companies. He said, when I was on my way up there to Paran, I crossed this Jordan. All I had was a staff. That's it. And now look at me. I'm two companies. I've tons of animals. I've got four wives. I've got 11 sons and, and, and Dinah a daughter. I've got all of this. At this point, and there were probably many other daughters, which we learn about in chapter 37. So, so um, he says, look at all I've got. And I'll tell you, I feel the same way. I remember when I was driving out of uh, uh, 
when I had finished my undergraduate and I was driving, I, I got a rental car, put everything I had in the trunk of the car, and I started driving to graduate school. And I remember as I was leaving that city, just tears welled up in my eyes because I was so grateful for what God had done. Because I got saved as an undergraduate. And I, I learned about the community, the church, the body of Christ, something that many of you have grown up in so you don't have a real appreciation for it because you grew up in it. I learned about the body of Christ and what a local church meant. And I had all these believers who were friends who really cared about me and I about them. And I thought, when I came to college, I never had any of this. And then I remember when we were leaving, I was leaving graduate school and, and, and we were driving out from my graduate school. I was driving over to do my postdoc and, and I had the whole car filled up with stuff and I had a big truck filled up with stuff and friends were driving the truck. And I remember, and I had a little daughter in the back seat and I had a pregnant wife next to me. And, and I remember driving out of there thinking, Lord, look at all you've done for me. I came here, everything I had was in the trunk of a car. Now I have a truck full of stuff, I have a wife pregnant wife next to me and a daughter in the back seat. Look at how much you have blessed me. And then I remember when, when we were leaving California and I was going to my first academic position, I remember coming down the, the, the steps from the airplane. They didn't even have the, 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 the jetway. We were coming down on the steps and I remember looking back at that plane and thinking, look at where you've brought me. I'm a professor now. I'll tell you, when I walked into my office, when I got hired by Rice 20 years ago and I walked into that office, and, and uh, I looked at the furniture that had been set up, and I looked at the computer that, that my, my lab manager had already set up for me. It was already on. It was already, And I just fell on my knees thanking God for what I had. I thank God so much. Learn to appreciate what God's given you. This man said, I came here with just a staff in my hand, and now I am two companies. If you learn how to appreciate, it makes your prayers a whole lot more powerful. Learn to appreciate all that God has done in your life, all the things that he has granted you, all the mercies that he has given you. I know some of you are international students. You came, everything you had was in, was in one bag. And then you graduate and you have this great position. Think of all that God has done. This is what he's doing. Learn how to pray like that. And then, then he goes on. He says, I'm one, unworthy of all the faithfulness which you've shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan and now I've become two companies. Verse 11, now he gets to the ask. It's first showing, establishing who God is, establishing who God is. He's the God of my father Abraham, the God of Isaac. We establish who God is. This is the God and father of my Lord Jesus Christ, my Lord who gave himself for me. And then he, he's saying, he, it's, the, it's this utter appreciation that Lord, I'm going forth in your name. And this appreciation for all of God has done. Then he gets to the ask. Then he starts asking. He says, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. You see how specific it is? So many times we come before the Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, you don't know what I'm going through. And the Lord is, okay, and what would you like me to do for you? Oh Lord, it's just so painful. Oh Lord, and what is it that you want me to do for you? I mean, and you walk away from there without ever asking him for anything. And the Bible says you don't ask, you don't receive because you don't ask. In James chapter 4. So the ask has to follow this. And he says, deliver me, I pray. And you see how specific it is. From the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. From the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. Lest you get confused which one. It's Esau. It's Esau that I'm worried about. Deliver me from him. For I fear him. That he will come and attack me. And the mothers and the children. So it's not just me now. It's the mothers and it's the children. 
you become a much better citizen of the community once you are married with children. When you're not married, you don't care. I mean, if there's a bunch of crime, I don't care. If there's a bunch, you know, the things going on, I don't care. All of a sudden, when you get married and when you have children, you will start really thinking about the community. You care about what the schools are like when you are a parent. You really start caring about the schools. You really start caring about the community. You really start caring about the crime in the community. I mean, you know, you live in a dormitory or something. You don't care. And I know. I, 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 didn't, I was oblivious to what was going on in the city where I was in a dormitory. Just, you know, I just went to the server. There was always food. I mean, I never worried about anything. You start, you get a family, you start really caring. And now this guy is sweating bullets because it's not just him and his life. It's these people that he loves much more than he loves himself, that he cares about. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand which is by the sea, which cannot be numbered. In fact, if you look back in, in, uh, in, in, in 28.14, when God blessed him, he says, You're gonna, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. Well, why does he say the sand which is by the sea? God never told him that. He's hearkening back to chapter 22. The promise that God made to Abraham was that you're going to be like the sand by the seashore. He had grown up hearing this through Abraham, through Isaac. He had grown up hearing this, this sand which is by the seashore. He's calling upon the things that he had, very, he had learned in his home. God never said that to him. God said it to Abraham in chapter 22. What God had said to him, your descendants will be like the dust which is by the earth. So it's, it's very different. It's a, it's, a, it's a different thing. And so, so uh, uh, and, and, in, and this is what he presented to the Lord. It's very direct. Learn how to pray. Learn how to seek the Lord and, and specifically do these things in prayer to the Lord. There are things that are facing you. There are things that are facing us. And then what happens is he goes down and then he says he divides up. He has this prayer. So he doesn't just say, okay, now God's going to take care of it. I'll just sit here. No, he prayed and he trusted God, but he also did things. He took certain things. And so what did he do? He selected 580 animals. 580. So if you add up the numbers here, it's 580 animals. Why would God give us such a specific number? So here's the number of animals. So he says, you know, for example, you're, you're to take uh, 200 female goats and 20 male goats. Very, very specific, the number of animals and even the sexes of the animals, 580 animals. We don't know what that number 580 meant, but maybe it meant this. So remember when he stole the birthright? Remember when he didn't steal the birthright, he, he kind of deceived his brother for the birthright. You swear that you give me the birthright and you can eat this porridge. What did the birthright give him? The birthright gives, if you're the firstborn, the birthright gives you a double portion. So in other words, the firstborn is going to get two-thirds of the inheritance. The secondborn gets one-third. It's two to one. It's a double portion. If he gives back one-third, that would give Esau two-thirds and him one-third. I don't know, but maybe 580 animals is equivalent to a third of what his father Isaac had at the time. I don't know. But he's giving back the blessing we already saw. He may well be giving back the birthright in that he's giving so many animals. And so he says, and he says, when you go to my brother, you're to say this. You're to say, your servant Jacob is sending it to my Lord Esau. Again, saying, I'm the lower one. 
God had said, you will be over your brother, or, or the, the prophecy was, you will be over your brothers. He is taking the lower position. He says, I'm not claiming that blessing anymore. I'll call you Lord, and I'm subservient to you. Why would Jacob, why would Esau be marching out toward him? Well, remember what it said of, of, of uh, in chapter 27, verse 40, it says, By your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. So maybe Esau thought, this is my time. I don't like this guy coming at me. And, and uh, he had come, he introduced himself. He says, I got all this stuff. I don't want any trouble. And his brother starts coming at him. And why was his brother marching toward him? Because he probably thought he may be coming and marching toward me. And so it's like we say, you know, we fight the terrorists over there so we don't have to fight them over here. And I don't blame Esau. You know, go up there and fight him. Keep him away from my wives and children. I'll go up with the 400 men and we'll fight him up there. And uh, uh, so, so, but what he does is he takes steps and he's offering a gift. He offers a gift. The Bible says you overcome evil with good. You overcome evil with good. Romans, uh, 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 in, in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 21, overcome evil with good. He does something good. You say, well, a gift wouldn't really help. How do you know? Did you try? If someone's really bothering you, you give them a gift. Just find out what they like and give them a really good gift, something that costs you something, something you really think about. Give them a gift. He sent five different groups of people, five different groups of animals, and they all said, my servant, my, my, my Lord Esau, Jacob says, this is for my Lord Esau from your servant Jacob. Five times, five gifts. So he did things... Even though he prayed, it, it wasn't just, you know, pray and forget. It wasn't just fire and forget. I mean, he did things to try to appease it. And, and then, and then when, when uh, um, and so then you see what he's doing. So we've got, we've got uh, something big before all of us. And that we've got, we've got this coronavirus. And th- so those of you who are from China, and I, I love the Chinese people. I'll tell you, I love the Chinese people. Chinese people have made me famous. They really have. Chinese people have made me famous. My first graduate student was a Chinese woman named Ruilian Wu. And I have never had in my group a time when I didn't have multiple Chinese people in my group. They have done so much research for me. The Chinese people that come to the U.S. are amazing. The only way they can get to the U.S. is they've got to be really good. All the, all the really not good ones aren't allowed to come to the U.S. And so, so we've got all of these really good ones. They come here and they work in the labs and they work really hard. So when I see what's happening in China, my heart goes out to them. I say to my Chinese students all the time, how's your family? Tell me about your family. How are they doing? I care about the Chinese people. And, uh, and this, this coronavirus is just ravaging their country. And, and this hurts to see this. And now we're getting bits of it over here, and all of us are thinking about this thing. And so what I want to do is, is, is just pray. We're going to do what he did. We're going to pray. But I want to read Psalm 91, because we have to look at the promises of God. Turn to Psalm 91, and we're going to close with this. Psalm 91. And I'm going to read this psalm, and I want you to think about what this says, and learn to hold on to God's word. Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. 
He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he's known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Look at the promise. Look at the promise. I mean, there's this little virus that we can't even see that is ravaging the world. You can't even see it. You know, so you, you can think you're, you know, Joe Tough Guy and you're going to defend him. <laughs> you can't even see this thing. It shows you how helpless we really are. They had pestilences that ravaged people back then. The world has been through this before. God gives us his word to hold on to. We have our Lord to cry out to. You care about your family. You care about what's going on. I say, take hold of the word of God. These things are in God's hands. And we're going to pray and commit this to him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word and for the truth of it. Lord, we recognize Jesus is our king. Jesus is Lord over all the earth. It is you, Lord Jesus, who has called us your friend. It is you who have given of yourself for us. You know what it is to suffer. You know what it is to go through pain. You lived a perfect life here on earth. And it is you who is ruler over us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we are totally unworthy of the goodness that you have shown toward us. The life that we have in Christ. We are totally unworthy of this goodness that you have shown toward us. You owe us nothing. But Lord, this is what is confronting us now. There is a virus that is coming. There is a virus that is upon us, and we pray, Lord, for your protection. Lord, I pray specifically for the Chinese students who are here, for the Chinese families that are here. Lord, remember their families in China. Remember them. Lord, I pray your protection to be upon them. And Lord, I pray that you give victory over this virus. To whom can we come but you? You are the only, ones that can, you are the only one that can protect us, O oh Lord. Father, have mercy on us. And Lord, I pray your special blessing upon the, the lives of the, the, the families of the Chinese who are here. And then, Lord, as the virus moves into the U.S., Lord, protect us, I pray. Oh, Lord, protect us. Lord, we'll do what we can, but even the, whatever we can, Lord, it's nothing compared to what your hand can do to protect us. So, Lord, we come before you and we ask for your protection. Lord, we ask for your protection and for your blessing and for your grace. 
Father, protect us from this virus that we cannot even see. Lord, give us strength. Lord, I pray that You'd strengthen our immune systems, that You would do what it takes to protect us. Lord, cover by the blood of Jesus those here in this class. Cover their children and protect them. Watch over their families. Lord, we cry out to You because You are our King and our Savior and our Lord. And Lord, we commit this into Your hands. And Father, I pray for those here specifically who are not believers that they too would learn to cry out to Jesus. First of all, that they would pray, Lord Jesus, I believe that You are my King. I believe that You have risen from the dead. Father, I pray that this day You would save some souls. Lord, do that. So that as they pray, it would open up the doors of heaven to them. Lord, Your grace be there. Your grace. And Lord, I commit this to You. In the name of Jesus. Amen.